As some of you may know, I've played the banjo for most of the time that I've done the old moldies last 10 years. When I first learned how to play, I was introduced to the playing style called claw hammer or frailing, which is associated with old time music and distinctly different from the finger picking styles common in bluegrass. Instead of picking upward from the underside of the nails, the right hand forms a kind of claw that strokes down on the strings with the main part of the fingernail, while the thumb rhythmically pulls off the, shir the short fifth string. I found this much more intuitive when I learned it from others. Later, I learned from a library book, Karen Lynn's That Half-Barbaric Twang, The Banjo in American Popular Culture, that the claw hammer style is a living tradition of banjo playing that goes back to how enslaved Africans played hundreds of years ago. Steeped in sounds and images of white supremacist blackface minstrelsy for over a century, it surprises many to this day to learn that the banjo originated in cultures of resistance and resilience during the Atlantic slave trade. So throughout today's show, we're going to hear selections of banjo music and documentaries I've found about the Afro-Atlantic roots and significance of the banjo. Up next, we're going to hear Rhiannon Giddens and a song she performed for the PBS show David Holt's State of Music, titled Julie, sung to the tune of an English murder ballad, Pretty Polly. After that, we're going to hear a short art history analysis of the Henry Osawa Taylor masterpiece, The Banjo Lesson, one of the most famous paintings of the banjo. And later on in the show, we'll hear more from Rhiannon Giddens playing banjo and talking about the history of the instrument among enslaved Africans and their descendants. Julie, oh Julie, you tell them in 
that that trunk of gold is yours, my friend. Mistress, oh mistress, I won't lie. If they find that trunk of gold by your side, mistress, oh mistress, that trunk of gold is what you got when my children you Today's Black History Moment, we're going to examine the banjo lesson by Henry Oswald Tanner. He was the first African-American artist to receive international attention for his work. In 1893, on a short return visit to the United States, Henry Oswald Tanner painted his most famous work, The Banjo Lesson, while in his native Philadelphia. Tanner's desire to show us his vision of resilience, spiritual grace, and creative and intellectual promise of post-Civil War African-Americans is fully realized. The scene is staged in the small confines of a log cabin, a hearth fire casting light from the right corner and a natural white glow from outside enters from the left. The boy holds the banjo in both hands, his downward gaze a reflection of his focus and concentration on his grandfather's instruction. The older man holds the banjo up gently with his left hand so that the boy is not encumbered by its weight. Yet the staging shows us that the man wants the boy to come into his own realization of music and its rewards. The boy is bathed in the glow of the fire's warmth while a glimmer of white light shining across his forehead, the center of knowledge and understanding. The older man is submerged in the cool shadows of the room. This carefully orchestrated play of warmth and cool, of shadow and light, conveys the success of future generations is built upon the legacy of the previous ones. The grandfather is the past the old America of slavery and civil war, of oppression and racism and poverty, while the boy, caught in the warm glow of the light, fire's light, is the new America of renewed opportunities, advancement, education, and new beginnings. It's also important that the instrument that leads the boy towards enlightenment is the banjo, an instrument highly significant to African-American slave culture of the music of the American South. The banjo evolved from the gourd instruments of Africa and the West Indies, and became integral to slave music throughout the 18th and 19th centuries. By Tanner's time, it was a mainstay of minstrel shows in which it was the custom to portray African Americans as boisterous, jaunty, buffoonish, and dim-witted. This portrayal fed into the preconceived notion of white racial superiority, that African Americans, even if they were no longer slaves, would still be infantile and incapable of self-determined action or remarkable achievements. The shows depicted African Americans as having an innate musicality, which acknowledged their talent, but undermined their intelligence. For Tanner, painting this image of generational torch passing was a way of debunking the entrenched derogatory stereotypes of African Americans propagated by minstrel shows. In Tanner's paintings, we see the grandfather and the boy as intelligent, noble, graceful, graceful people engaged in an in intimate act of sharing, 
sharing of a creative knowledge. Their lesson became emblematic of the larger African-American journey of the late 19th century and early 20th century. From emancipation and reconstruction, from the terrors and injustices of Jim Crow laws, and from the exodus of the Great Migration, and the forment and dynamism of the Harlem Renaissance. After painting the banjo lesson, as well as the thankful poor, Tanner moved back to Paris, where he would remain for the remainder of his life. Tanner felt that France was less encumbered with baggage of racial prejudice towards people of color than the U.S. In America, I'm Henry Tanner, Negro artist. But in France, I'm Monsieur Tanner, Le Artiste Americain. This, this desire to be recognized by the quality of his talent would inspire him to paint prolifically throughout his life, traveling through the Middle East and North Africa in search of authentic imagery for biblical paintings that would become the hallmark of his later career. But it is the banjo lesson that has become the iconic painting of his entire career. Its economy of scale, its emotional delicacy, its nuanced orchestration of light and shadow and symbolism situates it in a resonant space in American art history. My name is Mark DeWitt, and this is today's Black History Moment. Rhiannon Giddens singing Better Get Your Learning off of one of her latest albums, Songs of Our Native Daughters. The song was originally a minstrel song about getting up in the morning or something that she rewrote to express the struggle to get an education for newly freed slaves in the 19th century. 
Before that, Mark DeWitt of Sinclair College presented a mini art history lesson on the banjo lesson, a famous 19th century painting by then world-renowned African-American artist Henry Oswa Tanner. Well, to wrap up today's show, we're going to hear a final few selections of music and documentaries I've pieced together about the Afro-Atlantic origins of the banjo. The first is from David Holt's PBS show, David Holt's State of Music, while the other is from a promotional audio clip for a documentary called A Great American Tapestry. Both of them feature Rhiannon Giddens' voice in banjo playing. I hope you enjoy. What gives Southern music its distinctive sound is the blending of music from the British Isles with the music of Africa. Now that began to evolve in the 1800s in the South and has affected American music ever since. Black string bands featuring banjo and fiddle have been playing in the South since before the Civil War. The Thompson Brothers from Mebane, North Carolina carried on that tradition into the 21st century. Luckily for us, a group of young black musicians was inspired by the Thompsons and started the Carolina Chocolate Drops. The group has been wildly successful due in large part to the talents of Rhiannon Giddens as a singer, banjo player, and fiddler. Today, I'm meeting Rhiannon here at the historic Horn Creek Farm in Pinnacle, North Carolina. You know, I think most people think of the banjo as the quintessential American instrument, but tell us about it coming from Africa. Well, there are, there's a lot of uh, string instruments, lute instruments in West Africa. And so when Africans came over to, to the Americas, they either brought the instruments or the memory of the instruments with them. And in the, in the Caribbean in particular, that was the first sort of meshing of Anglo and Celtic and African sort of cultures, music and dance. And so the instrument that sort of came out of uh, that synchronization we you know we now call the banjo and it traveled up to North America with the slaves and became you know a, a well-known you know plantation instrument so first like hundred years of its existence in the Americas it was known as a black instrument and and that, that's how people considered it and then how did it get into the white community Well, in the 1840s and 50s um, some entertainers started to, to look at the banjo and go, that's pretty cool. And one, one in particular, Joel Sweeney, Joel which Sweeney. we know is, is, maybe he wasn't the first white man ever, but he was the first that we know of to pick it up. To, he made some changes to it, you know, whereas instruments before would have been more handmade, sort of gourd type instruments. He made some changes to it and, and also his colleagues, you know, one, one thing being the wooden rim. Um, and so they started to take the banjo out, performing with it all over the country. They went to the UK, they went to Australia, they went to Europe and... Spread it around the world. Yeah, they did. It was the first really American cultural export, like 100 years before rock and roll. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons why we don't talk about this is because they were doing it in blackface as part of the minstrel show. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, for various reasons, that's a really hard thing for us to talk about. There's a lot of negativity that goes along with that. But you also have to look at the fact that it was the most popular form of entertainment in America for over 50 years. Yeah. I mean, it's at the root of our culture, music, dance. It's just what started Broadway. It started yeah. everything, yeah. you know, syncopation. There really was not much syncopation in American music then. Give us a little example of something, and I'll play the bones. Yeah, so this, is, this was originally um, published in 1855, the very first banjo tutor called the Briggs Banjo Instructor. So this is a little piece from that. Yeah, that's 
great. The other thing that's, I think, interesting about the minstrel shows is that's actually how black performers started getting into show business. Yeah, I mean, after emancipation, that was the only way that they could be entertainers was to actually blacken up, to put on blackface. Sometimes the blackface was lighter than their actual skin tone, mm -hmm. you know, but that was the only way that they could get into the entertainment industry. And that was a really great industry for a lot of, a lot of African Americans because of just the if you had ability you could get into it you know as long as you blackened up you could you could do it in, instead of the, so many of the other um, things that were sort of closed to them you know so that was that was definitely a way to make a living and when white people actually saw black people performing and saw how talented they were that they just wanted to see more yeah I mean that was when that was where I think the blackface minstrel show started to kind of go downhill is that people started you can see it in the in the press of the time people started going why are there white folks being in blackface <laughs> when there's actually these black performers doing you know and it's and but then you know in the black community the blackface minstrel show sort of you know it was subverted and some of the comedy that comes out of that i mean you when you when that's your only outlet you know and it's such a sort of negative thing you have to sort of turn it to 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 you know you have to turn it or otherwise you can't survive you know so some of the some of black humor and and some of the oldest you know things in black entertainment come out of that sort of subversion of the of the minstrel show so i mean it's ex extremely important to to talk about <laughs> people from different parts of, you know, primarily West Africa, um, coming over, <clears throat> not under their own volition, um, being brought over to North America, particularly to the Caribbean, which is where, you know, people who were going to be sold into slavery were seasoned, you know, especially if they were going to end up going up to the North America, up to North, North America. So 
so much of what becomes African-American music and dance is formed, you know, in the Caribbean, in Congo Square, in New Orleans, where all of these different cultures didn't speak the same language, weren't playing the same instruments, but were playing in a sort of family of instruments, of these lute-type instruments, you know, either the memory brought over or the instruments themselves brought over. And then, you know, the syncretization of all of that, you know, forming what becomes known as the banjo, the banjar, the banjar, whatever, banza, banza, um, in the Caribbean, and then being brought with people up to the southern United States, or oh, actually just the United States in general, you know, because people forget that there was, there were enslaved people all over, you know, from, you know, I think it was like the first European settler stepped foot on, you know, in, in North America, and like 20 years later is the first African American, you know what I mean? It's like very, very intertwined all over the place, you know, and and that's that's really important to remember because the 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 image of you know slavery in the deep south leaves out the tidewater region the mid-atlantic and all of those folks that were forming these cultures these enslaved cultures that then were marched down to the to the pens in louisiana and then over to texas and to alabama and you know so it's it, it's a very much a, a wide a wide cultural thing you know so you have African Americans with this native instrument, you know, this truly American instrument, the banjo, and it's a plantation instrument for the first hundred years of its existence, and not no white person plays it. Like people know, it. that's a plantation instrument, and you you have this, and you also have black musicians being trained to play for white dances, you know. So you have these dance masters, you know, coming in, but then you know black musicians pretty quickly become very prized and so they're they're going back to the quarters and they're playing the banjo and they're doing all this you know their their music and dance and then they're going to play for these european dances and they're playing fiddle and you know there's all of these primary source sources about you know that dark you could play a strathspey you know it's like they're learning scottish tunes and english tunes and all of the, you know whoever you know whoever owns the plantation you know and then, of course, that's going to come back and it's going to mix. And, you know, the first people to play fiddle with a banjo would be African-Americans. I mean, that's obvious, you know, it's like <laughs> they've got the banjo. So and they've had the fiddle for hundreds of years. They have these, you know, runaway slave posters saying, you know, plays the fiddle, plays the fiddle, plays the fiddle. It's like highly prized. So you have all that coming into being. And then you have um, the this form, this sort of string band form. Of course, there's interactions between you know, whites and blacks, particularly poor whites and blacks, because they're the ones, you know, interacting, like, you know, the, the aristocracy is not interested in this, you know, so you've got all this stuff and it starts to, you start getting the first white people playing the banjo, these, these traveling entertainers, like, those are the ones we know about, I mean, who's to say that there wasn't some, you know, some white people, like, who didn't, who weren't entertainers, like, you know, who were, for, you know what I mean, like, who's to say that, but that's what we know. You know, is 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 these inter these blackface entertainers start playing the banjo? They make some changes to it, um, but you know, in form, it's pretty. It's like the stuff they do is it doesn't change the basic form of the banjo. There's no adding the fifth string. It was already there, and you know, all of these sorts of things. And then, the, so blackface entertainers start taking the banjo, um, and people go nuts. They're like, "What is this thing? This is amazing!" You know, and and it becomes this cultural explosion like they they travel to Europe and Australia and South, South Africa and it's the whole world's first uh, encounter with American music even done through 
white people playing in blackface. Rhiannon Giddens, crossover musician and the final founding member of the Chocolate Drops team, wraps up things for us right here. It's important to remember everything that goes into the tapestry of, you know, American music, whether it's Appalachian music or, you know, Piedmont music or whatever. It's important to remember all of the, the strands because that's the truth. And the truth is always much more interesting than the fiction that is being fed to us, you know? And it, the truth is what informs who we are and explains why we do what we do. The truth does that. Illusions don't do that. Illusions obfuscate, you know? They, they're feeding, if there's an illusion that's being sold, it's because somebody is selling it. And why are they selling it? You know what I mean? Anything that goes into keeping us apart Anything that goes into us not understanding each other is going into the ruling class and their desire to keep us all separated so they can continue making money and having all the power. That's it. I mean, even this kind of, you know, people might think, oh, this is a very specific, this it's all part of the game, you know? So, because music is supposed to be able to bring us together. And that's what it has done over and over and over again. It's like, you have nothing else in common, but you can, you can meet musically people you know, are making music together, even if they're not, their daughters aren't talking, even if they, you know, can't speak in public, they can make music, you know? And anything that's gonna take that away, I think is, should be looked at in a very shady manner, <laughs> you know? Because that's the, the, the experiment that is America, that's, that is why it, is, it succeeded, is because of all of those colors. Not just the one, but all of them. When we lose our history, we lose who we are. Because everything that's gone up into this moment has made our culture the way it is. So if we don't understand that, A, we're going to keep making the same stupid mistakes, and B, we have lost the core of what it means to be American. You know, and I see, you see it happening now. People forcing these narratives down these undereducated people's throats, and I include myself in that. I mean, I didn't know about the banjo until I was an adult. I, I just, I'm always, I'm always wary. It's, it's knowledge is power. And knowing that we're more alike than different is powerful, and that's why they don't want us to know that. Not admitting that America is the sum of all of its parts. You know, all of the different cultures that came in and did this, this thing. There's a reason why the world loves American music, is because everybody sees a piece of themselves in it. Georgia Buck's dead, last word said, don't you put no shortening in my bread. Don't put no shortening in my bread.